Emerald listeners, welcome to People of Interest, where I discuss an individual in history who strikes my curiosity. I'm Jamie Arpan. Birth control and general reproductive rights are common contentious topics in the U.S., as well as in other nations. Today, I'm going to talk about Kato Shizue, the woman who pioneered the movement for accessing birth control in Japan. Shizue was born on March 2, 1897, in Tokyo, Japan. Both of her parents came from samurai families who gained aristocratic titles at the beginning of the Meiji Restoration. Their families arranged their marriage. It was not a love match by any means, but they both played their roles well. Shizue's father was the head of his family and brought a significant amount of wealth as a mechanical engineer. Meanwhile, her mother played the perfect wife, managing the finances for every member of the family. Shizue attended the Perez's school until she was 12. Her classmates included the children of other nobility. There were four princesses, three marchionesses, and 14 countesses. While they studied subjects such as geometry, physics, and world history, the school emphasized studying calligraphy, Japanese literature, painting, and sewing. Most, including Shizue, did not pursue further education due to the belief most parents had about their daughters. Shizue wrote in her biography, quote, The parents of most of us thought too much education spoils a woman's precious virtues, obedience, and naive sweetness, and that awakening one's individual desire is the seed of unhappiness. End quote. Right after Shizue graduated, she received a proposal from Baron Ishimoto Kikichi, a young mining engineer. She was 17 when they married on December 23, 1914. The Ishimotos relocated to a mining community close to the Mikke coal mines on the island of Kyushu one month after their nuptials. Kikichi toiled underground for the Mitsui Mining Company almost every day. The newlyweds had two boys, Arata and Tamio, and they were content with their life in their modest, poorly lit thatched cottage. It was this period in Shizue's life where she started to notice the hardships of everyday women. Wives toiled in the underground with babies strapped to their backs and even occasionally gave birth in the coal mines. Domestically, these women didn't fare any better. After a hard day work, they were responsible for the condition of the home, and on payday they struggled with their husbands to keep the meager income from being spent away on drinking. Both Shizue and Kakichi, inspired by their experiences, read heavily on how to improve society. The Russian Revolution of 1917 especially intrigued the couple, However, Kikichi's health worsened and the family moved back to Tokyo. Unsatisfied with his life in the capital, Kikichi left for America soon after in order to meet and socialize with other radical leaders. He invited his wife to join, on the condition she leave their sons with her mother. At this period in time, it was considered unusual for a Japanese woman to leave her young children in order to travel. When she did arrive, Ishimoto left her in New York to study typing, shorthand, and bookkeeping. While he dwelled in the labor conferences in Washington, D.C., before once again taking off to Europe. This is when Shizue met the woman who would inspire her journey into sex health education. She was introduced to Margaret Sanger, the first person to coin the term birth control. It was through her discussions with Sanger that Shizue came to the realization the ultimate way to aid the miners' wives back in Mike was to introduce access to contraceptives. This was one of the only ways a woman during this time period could gain some control over her own life. 
Nevertheless, despite this realization, Chidzue's husband's idealizations took a negative turn. After the Soviet Union refused to grant him an entry visa, he came to the conclusion that none of his contributions would ever make a difference in the world, and grew more and more conservative. The couple would return to Tokyo in the fall of 1920 to open a small shop. Regardless of her husband's setbacks, Shizue still strongly pursued birth control access. In 1921, Shizue, her husband, a labor leader named Kato Kanju, and a number of other people established the Birth Control League of Japan. Its primary focus was to study fertility issues as well as publish their findings in newspapers and academic journals. In this time, Shizue got her first taste of public speaking when Sangner was invited to do a lecture tour around Japan. Shizue translated Sangner's speeches for the locals. The first instant Shizue would speak publicly on her own, though, would be in 1923, when Kato Kanju invited her to speak to minors and their wives about birth control in northern Japan. However, while Shizue was pursuing her interests, her husband withdrew from any ideas regarding unionization, birth control, or other related progressive measures. Rather, he excitedly indulged in national expansionism, funding hopeless ventures in Manchuria and South Korea, despite these investments almost always failing. Jitsue did attempt to save her marriage by lessening her involvement in politics little by little, but it was never enough. Eventually, she came to the conclusion that their marriage was at a dead end. Kakichi agreed to divorce. Nevertheless, at this time in Japanese history, a couple could only proceed with divorce with the blessing of two male relatives. In the end, neither side of Shizue or Ishimoto's male relatives agreed to sign the divorce documents. In 1931, during Japan's occupation of Manchuria, Kikichi jumped at the chance to move there, leaving Shizue repulsed. Personally, she did not approve of Japan's colonial expansion. She divulged her struggles with Kato Kanju, a close friend of hers. Later that year, the two friends began an affair. Kato already had a wife, but she remained in the dark about their deeds. On the other hand, Shizue's sons knew of their mother's escapades and were rather supportive of her lifestyle. It wouldn't be until the end of 1932 when Shizue would resume giving lectures, this time in the United States. With the money earned from her time abroad, she opened her own birth control clinic in Japan. It was the first of its kind. As women visited, she would extensively explain to her patients how each type of birth control worked, as well as referring them to a gynecologist to choose the birth control that best suited their needs. Furthermore, Shizue maintained a thorough record system to track every patient. It was also during the development of her clinic that Shizue wrote her autobiography, Facing Two Ways, The Story of My Life. She originally wrote the book in English and published it in the United States. Her progress, however, did not last. Her clinics were forcibly closed down by the nationalistic Japanese government. They enforced new regulations limiting physicians from discussing contraceptives with their patients. It wasn't until July 31, 1937, when Shizue opened a brand new clinic. Nevertheless, tensions were still brewing domestically in Japan. Shizue was arrested under suspicion of harboring dangerous thoughts, but because she was a baroness, her treatment was considerably better. 
They questioned her on why she would attempt to limit the population of potential soldiers for the war effort. Her answer, to help Japanese mothers who could not afford to have more children. After two weeks, she was released and told to shut down her operations. Her lover, however, was arrested for two years for his socialist agendas. In 1944, Shizue was pregnant with Kato's child. By this time, his wife had passed away due to illness. Shizue was finally able to get male relatives to sign off on the divorce papers between her and Kagichi. That November, Shizue and Kato got married. The next year in March, Shizue survived being firebombed by the United States and gave birth to her daughter, Takikato. A month after Japan surrendered in World War II, Shizue was surprised to find an American soldier at her house waiting to take her to Allied headquarters. Apparently, her autobiography had been read by several American officers. They knew she was pro-America and fluent in English. The Supreme Commander of the Allied Powers, General Douglas MacArthur, forced the Japanese government, still filled with wartime-era politicians, to give women the right to vote in Japan. The new authorities ejected the majority of the old politicians from positions of power. During the new election cycle, Shizue and her husband ran under the newly proclaimed Japan Socialist Party. One of Shizue's tactics in campaigning was similar to Franklin D. Roosevelt's fireside chats, except her programs were called Women's Hour and Round Table of the Air. Both programs consisted of an hour-long radio broadcast discussing issues pertinent to women in politics. Both wife and husband won their respective seats in the Japanese version of Congress called the Diet, and the newspapers named them the Lovebird Representatives. Shizue's position in the Japanese government was critical. She was assigned to the Constitutional Revision Committee, which was put in place to change the Japanese constitution to what it is today. Her goal was to fortify Article 24 of the new constitution, which essentially was a declaration of gender equality. According to this section, laws pertaining to property, inheritance, choice of spouse, etc. would provide equal rights to both sexes. However, despite Shizue's many, many attempts, birth control never gained much traction in Japanese politics. Politicians appeared too busy catering to damage control left over from the remnants of World War II. The closest she got to achieving some sort of reproductive rights was the Eugenic Protection Law in 1948. This act legalized abortion and contraception only when a pregnancy endangered the life or health of the mother. There was no additional support given to sex education of reproductive health clinics in this bill. In May of 1949, there were some additional measures added that permitted abortion for economic reasons, as well as hospital and clinic discretion to create and prescribe contraceptives. However, a common issue at this time was that doctors preferred to perform abortions over prescribing contraceptives as they were more profitable. By the 1950s, Japanese women were going through a minimum of at least 1 million abortions a year. This mindset has continued to persist to this day, as abortions are seen as a more feasible substitute for birth control. It would take until 1952 for Shizue to receive approval from the Japanese government to publicly finance birth control. Despite the approval for 700 clinics, there was a lack of proper funding and manpower to make her efforts viable. 
Two years later, this program came to a halt, resulting in Shizue taking matters into her own hands once again and establishing the Family Planning Federation of Japan. Their lack of funding was solved through a business deal through the Okamoto Rubber Company. The organization would purchase millions of condoms at half the wholesale price, while reselling them at the actual bulk supply price. Her solution provided to be successful as Japan's birth rate decreased by half from 1947 to 1957, thanks to the widespread use of condoms. Unfortunately, beyond Shizue's initial efforts, the Japanese government has never really operated to the scale she dreamed of. To this day, birth control pills are still hard to come by in Japan. Shizue would finally step out of the political scene at age 77 in 1974, after losing her re-election bid due to a split vote between her and another popular feminist leader. While she was no longer a politician, she continued to maintain a public image by being the president of the Family Planning Association of Japan. In 1978, Kato, her second husband, passed away and Shizue fully withdrew from her previous affiliations with the Socialist Party as it gained new ideals far from its original core values. Finally, in 2001, Shizue passed away at the age of 104. Her work in advocating for women's reproductive health rights in Japan pushed a demand for reliable resources. Well, it never reached her end goal of open access for everyone, her work brought more awareness to the public. Not much has changed since the end of her involvement in providing regular birth control. However, in 2011, the Japanese Ministry of Health approved of Japanese company Sose producing and selling emergency contraceptive pills. Little by little, maybe someday, Japan will reach Shizue's ideals. Thank you for tuning in to People of Interest. This is Jamie Arpan, signing off.